morning, Sterling. Oh, such a wonderful... Oh, Lord Jesus, this morning our hearts are full. We are so supplied from heaven this morning. You are so for us, Lord. Your posture towards us is one of a, a front-footed father. <laughs> and I pray as, as we go through this parable... Lord, I pray that we would see with fresh eyes this morning how much you are providing from heaven for us to live for you. That none of us this morning would leave this place with a leanness in our perspective of our faith in Jesus, but rather a sufficient, steadfast supply that enables us to live lives that bring great glory to your name. Come, Lord, by your Spirit, we pray. Reveal these things to us. Might we leave this morning a people who are full. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's read together from Mark chapter 12, verse 1. And we're picking up from where we stopped off last week. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version, Mark chapter 12, verse 1. And Jesus began to speak to them in parables. And he's talking to the leaders. They rejected his plain offer of a direct answer as to what authority or by what authority he was doing these great things. So he began to speak to them in parables. And a man, he said, planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the winepress and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty handed. Again, he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the, inhabit the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read the scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. Hmm. I want to remind you that the section of where we are in Scripture is about fruitfulness. And uh, it's a very well-timed question that Jesus is asking Israel because they have enjoyed a long time of ministry from Jesus. I want to remind you that this God of heaven is not unkind. 
but he gives a lot of time and a lot of hope and a lot of grace for us to get to know this Jesus and live for him. But he does ask at the appropriate time, like this nation of Israel, what has been the result of God moving towards them over and over again? And he does the same for us at the appropriate time. Israel has enjoyed centuries of God's gracious mercy towards them. And it's appropriate now, as you'll see in the parable, the Son of God has come. The last messenger to Israel has arrived. And what are they going to do? Well, he gives a foretaste of what they're going to do, but it is a question of fruitfulness. And last week we saw how fruitfulness in the kingdom takes place by looking at the life of Jesus. Friends, this result of Jesus' ministry, where people's lives were changed and the kingdom of God moving forward, was not the result of his earthly ability. It wasn't the result of his fleshly uh, skill. There was nothing in his human nature that was enabling or empowering this kingdom of God moving forward. Rather, we saw last week, it is this help of the Spirit that Jesus identified as the anointing in every aspect of his life that was producing this authority and momentum in the kingdom that these earthly leaders looked at and were shocked at saying, how could this be? How could a carpenter from Nazareth produce this kind of kingdom power and result in the nation of Israel? And so friends, we saw last week that fruitfulness comes through a joyful dependency upon God's help through the Spirit in everything we are doing but we are going to look at the other way around today of how does fruitlessness occur? Because Jesus is using Israel as a nation after all these centuries. He's saying, well, let's examine their trajectory. Let's examine their journey thus far. And he tells this parable in speaking to the leaders. And these leaders represent a nation that has enjoyed tremendous grace from God. And we are going to see the results of how this nation became fruitless to the point of wanting to crucify the one promised to them. And the reason why we need to look at this morning is to turn it around and make it positive. I don't know about you, but I hope that you want your life to be fruitful for Jesus, right? No matter what, at the end of your life, you want to, like Paul say, I've run the race, right? I fought the good fight. It's a fight. It's hard. It, it, gets, it seems to get more difficult at times. Oh, but Paul said it's through many hardships we inherit the kingdom. And friends, there is an opportunity. You will see that we have every encouragement to be an opposite kind of people to the Jews. Well, let's open up with my first point. Let's look at where fruitlessness came from in the life of Israel. And my first point is this. Fruitlessness is the result of persistent pride. Now, in the very first verse of chapter 12, something significant happens, and you can just read quite quickly and miss it. But Jesus said this, he began, or Mark says this, that Jesus began to speak to them in parables. Do you notice that parables is in plural? In other words, the way he communicated to these people started to change. It went from a direct offer of saying, do you want to know who I am and by what authority I'm doing these things? 
And their rejection of this offer because of their pride, remember they didn't want to admit that they could be wrong about John the Baptist's ministry being from God, and they didn't want to publicly deny and defend themselves because they were afraid of what the people would say to them. Friends, at the heart of their response to Jesus is pride. And the worrying thing that happens here is because of their hard hearts towards Jesus, they are becoming harder to reach. It is never a compliment when God has to move <laughs> from plain speech in your life to having to speak in ways that are hard to understand because of pride. Parables were a form of judgment upon pride. They were not a compliment. And they are in a difficult, difficult and dangerous position. They are becoming harder and harder to reach. The kingdom of God is becoming more and more difficult for them to participate in. In other words, God's voice is becoming less and less clear because of this posture of pride in their lives. And I want to say to you this morning, friends, the same danger rests in your heart and mind. Pride is lurking all the time, and if we are not careful, and we hold to postures of pride in our lives, the voice of the Lord becomes harder to understand, not easier. And our danger in the kingdom grows. It doesn't become less. And I want to quickly just uh, double-click on this word pride. What do you think are the manifestations of pride in your life and mine? Because it's not an easy thing to see. By nature, pride is blinding, right? Well, I could talk sermon after sermon, but I want to just point out to these leaders in Israel, do you know the one thing that manifested the pride of their hearts was their self-reliance. How do you know if you're moving in the wrong direction in terms of pride in your heart? Well, one of the cardinal signs is you need Jesus less and less in your life. These guys had a religion of self-righteous routine and ritual, and they were so confident in their faithfulness to works rather than a dependency on a living God that's speaking to them. This is the whole point of the parable. It's Christ himself is coming as the authoritative representative of the Father. And they are enjoying the voice of the Lord in their lives. And friends, the thing about pride is you don't think you need God to speak to you because you know everything anyway. That church becomes the substitute for this person of Jesus. Your own morality becomes a substitute for the righteousness of Jesus. Your own sense of work and, and self-sufficiency to handle crisis and trial and difficulties in your life. It becomes this form of, of yourself becoming sufficient to live this life. And friends, that's what these leaders were like. They could not see their need for Jesus. It was so powerful in them that they crucified him. I ask you this morning... When you wake up in the morning, do you realize you are living by the mercy being ministered to you through Jesus? That day by day, you are being kept by this God who has placed you by faith in Jesus Christ, and you are totally and utterly reliant and dependent on Him. Friends, I want to guide us this morning as an 8 o'clock congregation, getting so familiar with this thing called faith that we crucify Christ. 
the nature of a heart that's humble prays with this fervency of saying, oh, apart from Christ, I can do nothing. Oh, if Jesus doesn't strengthen me, I can't do anything. It's through Christ that I have an ability to live this life. It is living off the nourishing and nurturing supply of Christ in every second of every hour at our best and at our worst. We're dependent and confident in Jesus alone. Oh, it comes through a, a soft heart. Do you know why? Oh, this morning my heart has been so moved through worship because I realize what I owe him. Do you know what you owe him this morning? Do you know him? You owe him your life from death. You owe him your place in the kingdom. You owe him your place as a child, as being adopted, as calling God Father. You owe him everything. And he's ministering life and power and peace and joy and sufficiency into your life to enjoy the kingdom. Friends, the mark of a church that is alive and dependent upon the Holy Spirit is a mark of a church that's dependent on Christ. Because you start to realize, unless I get to know him, unless I get to see what he has done for me, unless I get to live off this cornerstone, that's such a precious picture of my life being aligned to him. How can I build? What can I do? What can I really achieve? Nothing. I ask you this morning, the mark of someone who is humble is someone who knows their debt that they owe to Christ and they enjoy it. What is your level of need for Jesus this morning? How long can you go without his help? How long can you live not enjoying a sense of his nearness? It's a heart of pride that can carry on as if nothing else really matters. Ritual, outward form, performance. These are the things that substitute a heart that's full of pride rather than a heart of humility that sees, when I see Christ, I see God's help and supply for me, and I enjoy it. Every day I enjoy it. Our friends, is your heart soft to God this morning? Do you ever need to ask him for help? Do you ever need to ask someone else for help? Friends, these guys didn't think they needed any help from Jesus. It was so powerful in them that the Son of God could be preaching and healing and casting out demons and preaching with such authority that the nation's astonished, and they couldn't see it. Ask, can you see it this morning? Friends, if your heart is growing cold to Christ, you need to get on your knees. You need to get on your knees and you need to say to him, Jesus, show me again my need for you this morning because that's how I live. Please, church, the reason why I'm so blunt this morning with you is this place must never substitute your relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? Just by you being here is not enough. You've come here to meet a person. You've come here to enjoy a person. You've come to live off a person. You've come to trust a person. His name is Jesus. My second point is, oh, this is just too wonderful to preach on this morning. This is God's goodness. The second point is fruitfulness is never due to a lack of God's supply. Oh, when I read this, I was so encouraged because in verse 1 and 2, look at this. Look at uh, did I get that right? Yes, I did. Verse 1 and 2. It talks about the parable of what God has done for Israel. He says, A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the winepress and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. Do you notice how much the guy who owns the vineyard has done to get it set up for fruitfulness? These guys rocked up onto that plot and enjoyed a lot of money being spent to get this place ready for them to start earning, profiting from another's cost, another's preparation, another's supply. Now, this is very profound for us this morning. Because 
when the owner sends the first servant to collect some fruit, he's sending the servant to a people who are fully furnished for success to bring fruit. That's going to give you a lot of encouragement this morning, right? Friends, I want to say to you, the reason why God can call for fruitfulness in Israel and to test whether there's any fruit is because Christ is confident and utterly assured that they have received everything over centuries to be a fruitful people. Not once could Israel over centuries of grace point the finger and say, God, you didn't provide enough. God, you left us in the lurch. God, you weren't faithful. God, you didn't keep your word. Not once in the story of Israel could they point to a moment where God's faithfulness lapsed. Amen? Do you know this morning it's the same for you? I want to read you a wonderful section in Romans where Paul talks about what the Jews enjoyed from God in, in verse 4 and 5. He says, they are Israelites. And to them belong the adoption. I mean, I'm reading, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to catch up with you. I'll be honest, in the Bible reading plan, I'm loving it. I'm behind a week or two. I decided late to join. But when you look at this man, Abraham, it's my reading in Genesis chapter 12. You think, what was this man that God would come to him out of nowhere and say, I want you. And from you, I'm going to produce a seed that's going to be a blessing for us today. And all that Abraham did was, I believe. And this is the adoption by this faith. Oh, my word. Abraham and his descendants get adopted into God's plans and purposes and into his kingdom. And, and these Israelites, they got the glory. They got the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Paul can't contain it. As he's telling what these Israelites have received, he goes into worship. He says, look how generous God has been to his people. The Lord has done the same for you this morning. You know, standing up here this morning, the reason why I can preach with such confidence is because I feel this wealth of heaven towards me in Christ. And today, when God summons you to obedience, friends, He's not summoning you off the back of your sweat or the insecurity and fickleness of your flesh or even the short-lived willpower of your heart, he's summoning you of the supply of Christ. And the reason why you take fruitfulness seriously this morning is because God has supplied you with everything you need to start living for Jesus. But the problem that we have, and this is why I have to go here this morning, is unbelief is attached to leanness. Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? Unbelief is attached to to a lean view of God, an unfair view of God. And this is how it plays out, unbelief. Oh, those Israelites in the wilderness. Yeah, God has just split the, the Red Sea. And there they are saying, where's the food? Where's the meat? Where's the water? There is this leanness of their engaging with the God who's just delivered them powerfully through ten plagues, the finest one being the, the blood of the, of the Passover. Here is this nation that has seen the fullness and supply of God, who's done such great things. But when the moment comes of testing of faith, all they see is a God who's lean. And friends, that is not the picture of God in heaven today for us. The only way you'll stop believing God is if you believe He's going to supply what you need, Right? The only way you start growing in faith is when you're facing this. And let me tell you, it can, I don't want to, I, I feel so disqualified in preaching on suffering this morning. When, what have I really suffered? Look at the Son of God. 
Look at the Son of God. He's having to drink this cup. He's sweating blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. It is so distressing. Some of you know what it's like. You've suffered much more than I have. You can't sleep at night. Your, your state of well-being is so distracted because it's so concerned about an outcome. And what's really being tested is whether God is going to keep his word to you and supply what you need. My pastors always used to say, suffering is just an area of need. Friends, today, if you can get hold of a God who promises he's going to provide, who sets you up to be fruitful in the hour of your suffering, you will have such a faith anchored to the, to the promises and person of Jesus Christ. You'll stand. You'll pass the test. You'll be able to say, I'm going to get through this through the grace of God. Oh, may the Lord deliver us from leanness. Don't you think it's wonderful? Second uh, Peter, I mean, how quick am I to forget? I mean, we do too. In chapter 1, when we preached in verse 3 and 4, it says, His divine power has, He has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And it's going to come through some way, through the knowledge of Him. That's Jesus, who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises. What does this mean? So that through them you may. It's not automatic. You have to access them. You have to allow them to be ministered to you by faith. They're yours. But you have to trust in Jesus that you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world. Isn't that wonderful this morning? That his divine power has already granted to you all things you need to live a life of godliness. Come what may. My third point this morning is fruitlessness, is forgetting God's purpose for his people. I have been challenged this week in this point, and I'm trusting God to give me grace this morning to explain it, because this is something so simple, yet so profound. It says, when the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. But the point was, as the owner of the vineyard, please hear me this morning, there was an expectation, not of all, which, praise the Lord, we can enjoy some of it, but not of all the fruit, but of some. And my heart for you this morning, 8 o'clock, is that this would open up why you are here and what Jesus' outworking in your life means. Is God the Father wants some fruit from your life? from your salvation. In other words, what it, what, it, what, it, what it pushes up against is this one-way transaction which we must guard against. This one-way understanding that, oh, I just take from Christ. No, my friends, that is how we live, yes. Oh, but God wants to take a few things. He wants to get a few things from your salvation which you were designed from beginning of time for. And I want to unpack it this morning because this is the point of what it means to be human. You see, these Israelites didn't think that this vineyard had some return to the owner. They turned this blessing of enjoying this plot in and, on, in and upon themselves. They thought this fruit was just for themselves. And because of that, because of their sheer self-interest and entitlement and orientation towards this one-way transaction of just receiving from the owner, they crucified Christ. They stopped being useful that's the point. They stop being useful to the kingdom of God. It can happen 
to a nation, it can happen to a civilization, it can happen to a denomination, it can happen to a church, it can even happen to an individual friends. There is a way that we can relate to God's grace in our lives, setting us up for fruitfulness that turns in on ourselves and it damages our participation in the kingdom. What, what are we talking about here? What Jesus is talking about in this parable was what Israel needed to grasp, and this morning is what we need to grasp, is that we are not just saved from something. That's the gospel we preach well, right? My little girl and boy, I mean, I just pray that by the grace of God, it would actually go down to their hearts. They are not saved yet, I don't think. But they can tell you. What does it mean to be a Christian? You must believe that Jesus died on the cross for your... Do you know what I was challenged by this last week? I tried to express it in a, in a robust conversation with my father. Is Genesis 1 and 2 comes before Genesis 3. In other words, your nature, your design, your reason for being on planet Earth is given to you before the fall happens. Is We understand we've been made in this image of God and God is desiring to put us on display for His glory. We have a purpose not just to enjoy creation, but we were made for a purpose. And this purpose was to bring God glory as his image bearers in his creation. Friends, it is a wonderful thing when you start preaching the whole gospel, where it's not just you are saved from your sin, but you are saved for a purpose. And the Westminster Confession did it brilliantly. They said, why were you created? To give God glory and to enjoy him forever. And why does this matter for us this morning? Well, friends, we are, as a human race, particularly in the West, we have an existential crisis. That just means we don't know what we're here for. I want to tell you about a guy that my dad has been asking me to read. I haven't read him, but I've listened to him. Do any of you know the guy called Viktor Frankl? Any of you? So he was a Jewish psychiatrist. He went to four concentration camps. Four, hey, how's that? How about doing the tourist route of, um, of the various concentration camps that the Germans set up? And he had made an interesting observation after World War II. He said, isn't it interesting that when you start examining society, when you looked at Auschwitz and Dachau and these, these concentration camps, the Jewish suicide rate was very, very low. Terrible circumstances. Awful. I mean, I, I can't even watch the, the, the footage. It just makes you want to vomit, to cringe, demonic to the nth degree. But yet, here, when you think people would be tapping out because of the situation of their lives, they're not. They're walking through it. And the suicide rate was exceptionally low in the concentration camps. He said, isn't it interesting in welfare Austria, just a decade or two later, where you've got this state providing everything a human being could possibly want, the primary thing that was happening to youth, school, high school kids, was suicide. Doesn't that feel a bit wrong? Yeah, Auschwitz, Dachau, there you've got this welfare state. Everything's cushy. No material need whatsoever. And Viktor Frankl said his observation for the reason why there was this ability to suffer and come through with a profound low rate of tapping out and versus this culture which was enjoying everything that material happiness could possibly bring was this, these Jewish people knew they had a meaning in their suffering. I couldn't quote the, the Hebrew, but it was suffering for the glory of God. 
where he said, the youth of today, when you give them and you say, life is just mere material possessions, you're the size of your house, the size of your pension, the niceness of your clothes, your liberty to spend cash however you want. When you start, you educate them as much as they want. When you start to give them everything that you tell them life's worth living for, when they've got it all, well, what's left? I ask you this morning, what are you living for? You see, when you start realizing that the salvation is not just being saved from something, but for something, it does not matter the season you find yourself in. What matters is how you are living out your purpose and the joy of Christianity. It's redemptive for postmodernism. Let me tell you, postmodernism is demonic at its nth degree because it attacks the very sense of what it means to be human. That's why people think, well, if I change my gender, I'll find meaning. Well, if I change my, my sexual orientation, I'll find meaning. If I change, um, uh, uh, we, we cancel out history, we'll change. If we, if we trying to adjust all these things to find meaning they can't find it why because the very essence of being human is that you made for God for this, uh, this joy of being on, on put on display for the glory of his name and I want to say to you this is true in the church I'm concerned for us this morning that we believe the lie that life is merely material happiness this side of the grave and success is measured by how much we have it's not my friends that's why you get the crisis. It happened to me. I studied pharmacy. I finished all this wonderful... I was so in love with my profession. And I went off to work in the real world. Don't you love education? It's so idealistic. But when you have to start working and you realize you're working in an office with no windows, sometimes seven days a week, sometimes you're working eight o'clock to six o'clock in the evening, you drive to work in the dark, you drive back in the dark, and I can tell you I hit the deepest depression I've ever had in my career because what I started to realize is, is this it? Successful pharmacist, cum laude his degree, gave all of his time and energy in the hope that this, this, this pathway of experiencing meaning and purpose in my life, it was smashed within three months. I ask you this morning, I see it happening to retired people. Life's suddenly done because work is finished. No, not a chance. Not a chance. I see with people who struggle with suffering, if they've got no greater construct of what this is all for, suffering kills them. They'd rather blow their brains out than use their mind to think of what God is trying to call them to, this great purpose to live for the glory of his name and a church that grips us as a church that has meaning in the bucket loads. It gets you down praying every day. It opens up your Bible every day. It gets you resisting sin. It gets you starting to live a life that's totally different to the world. Why? Because your meaning for being here is totally different to the world. Suddenly a church is on display for the glory and honor of Christ. And the world looks on and goes, wow, I see something different in the way that these guys face life. versus me. In your singleness, live for the glory of God. He is looking for fruit. And the joy of it, he's not looking for all of it. <laughs> In your retirement, live for the glory of God. In raising your children, do it for the glory of God. In your work, do it for the glory of God. In your, your retirement, do it for the glory of God. You never lack reason to live for Jesus. Friends, this morning we have to redeem what postmodernism is killing in us, which is why we are here. You teach your children and you say to yourself, I'm here for the glory of God. A planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. And you know what I, I enjoyed about this was he only asks for some of the fruits. He leaves the rest for you to enjoy. You know what I don't want you to think about is this sour grape sort of mentality. Let me not enjoy a good meal at a restaurant because it's wasting money. 
Let me not enjoy my hobbies and my time and my friendships because all my word is not for the glory of God. Let me tell you, what is a glorious a picture of God's grace in a human life is it's good to be alive, right? It's good to be human, right? May God rescue us from this parsimonious, this sort of sour grape, snotty-nosed, sniveling sort of faith that tells the word, you don't, well, you don't want to be anything in this group. If you want to be here, you just tiny have to be unhappy. God forbid. Do you know what I love about the people of God? They've led the way in music. They've led the way in the arts. They led the way in cultivating crops and science. They have enjoyed the fruits of God's goodness in making them human and the joy of wisdom in their salvation. They have been at the cutting edge when the church has been at her best of showing how full the human life and experience can be. Amen? Let's not be any different this morning. I'm only halfway, but I'm enjoying it. <laughs> so I'll just carry, carry speeding on. I'll land it quickly. Friends, the fourth is fruitlessness is caused by resisting God's voice. Don't you think it's fascinating how over and over and over God sends these servants? Oh, my word. And how many? They are the picture of the prophets coming to Israel. God giving his word through Moses and these prophets. And it, it, the faithfulness of God to speak. You know, don't look at this negatively and say, Oh, my goodness, am I one of these guys that God's no longer speaking? I want to say to you, there is every encouragement God is going to speak to you about your life. Isn't that wonderful this morning? I do have to question, if you've never heard the voice of Jesus, are you his sheep? But I want to say, flip side this morning, so you notice how much God is willing to talk to you over, even when you treat him badly. I love it. If you just look at the... the well, I don't love it. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a sadist where these guys are getting beaten up and, and you know, killed. But what I do see is, although their treatment of God's prophets get worse and worse, first of all, they get beaten up and left empty-handed. Then the one gets hit on the head and the other one gets killed. I mean, it's just this sort of awful uh, spiraling towards God. Oh, but I'm so grateful that God still says, and, and many others come. Can I say to you, when last did you hear the voice of God in your life? It doesn't have to be a burning bush. It doesn't have to be this grand exile experience where suddenly you're levitating because the power of the Spirit is... No, friends, it is this joy of Him opening up the Word to you as you're reading, as you're praying, these promptings and nudgings, even this morning as your heart's being warmed. I pray it's being warmed to this Jesus and the wonder of His grace. This is God speaking. Our joy is to respond. Amen. And sometimes I know it is difficult when there is high stress and there are difficulties this morning that it makes it hard to feel so preoccupied in your brain and, and trying to just calm it down to hear the Lord. I want to say God is even faithful in that space to speak. He'll do it. But he opposes the proud. If you're not interested, you will find it hard to hear, but he gives grace to the humble. You do not have to worry this morning that God will be silent in your life. But I will say this, it depends how you responded to his message to you through his son. He left his best for last. Is this Jesus? He came as a representative, the highest representative of this authority from heaven. And friends, today, I want to say, anybody sitting here wanting to live a life for God and live for his glory, you cannot until you've responded to the message of his son, which is you must believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I don't want you to feel attached to anything but him. 
And friends, today, God has spoken finally through the gospel. I was listening this morning to um, the audio Bible on, on, on Acts chapter 3 and 4, where, where these disciples, they are so confident. that there's no other name in heaven by which you may be saved. Friends, if that's you this morning, you have to respond with all of your eggs in Christ's basket. Your life has to be a, a picture of running to him for mercy. Until you start there, you can't start anywhere. And then my last point today is that's how you came to Christ. That's where you stay. <laughs> you stay. Fruitlessness is not building your life on Jesus, friends. Have you not read the scripture says, Psalm 118, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And this was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Can you put a picture up of a cornerstone? There we go. Can, this, is, this is how it works. It's the first stone to be laid. It's the first stone you lay in your life is Jesus. Faith in Jesus. And you connect all of your life. Can you see every brick ultimately finds its direction, finds its alignment, finds its connection to the corner. And I just want to ask you today, friends, your life with Jesus and your relationship with Jesus, it is the most important thing in your life. Can you just say amen? Can you hear me? <laughs> Don't fuss about the technicalities of, did I understand all of the various aspects of this parable? If you can land in realizing my life is built on Jesus. It starts there and it stays. It expresses through fellowship. These, these bricks are connected to the cornerstone. These bricks stay in contact with the cornerstone. These bricks find their alignment to the cornerstone. He's going to speak to you as your shepherd. He says, my sheep hear my voice. And he's going to highlight things that are not aligned. And he's going to tell you, well done in the things that are. But friends, today it comes from this understanding full circle that you need Jesus. Every day through the help of the Spirit, in everything you are doing, you are seeking to align yourself with him. Is he pleased? That's the deep question of your life. Am I bringing him glory in this area? That's a deep question of your life that you answer. That's where you find your meaning. That's where you find your security. And that's where you find your peace. Every part of your life, he wants to align to him. What a joy this morning. He's provided for it. He's going to speak to you to help you. And thirdly, he's going to be this wonderfully present person. Not a system, not a formula. He's going to be this person that you are going to experience sustaining, directing, and guiding your life through daily fellowship with him. But again, I say to you, we must be careful of hardness of heart this morning. Can I ask you what I want you to walk away with? Is your heart soft to Jesus? Are you interested in him? Do you love him? Do you enjoy your need for him? Do you live in a wonder of how available he is to you to live this life? These guys could see, these guys could see that this parable was about them, but they still sought to rest and crucify Jesus. That's the extent of our hard heart. May God prevent us from ever having one of those. Let's pray. Jesus, I love the way you are the fulfillment of these Old Testament pictures. And one of them is that, Lord, 
you are a refuge for us. The Father has given you to us, Jesus, as our covering, as our safe place, as our leader, as our captain, as our king. And Lord, with reverence this morning, we don't want to have a small view of this salvation. We don't want the salvation to be turned inwards merely to self. But Lord, we want to recognize we have been saved from sin, that we might be saved for the glory of God. And Lord, denominations have been wiped off planet Earth. <laughs> Civilizations have been wiped off. The Jews, for a period of time, have been outside of your working of the gospel and your kingdom. Oh, Romans 11 says they're going to be grafted back in. And on that day, if, if their exclusion resulted in our being brought in as Gentiles, oh, how much more their inclusion lead to worldwide revival. But this morning, their, their story is a reminder for us that as a people, we are not entitled merely to remain in your kingdom purposes. It's those that produce fruit. And you are talking to a people then, and you are talking to us as a people now. And I pray, like Paul said, we are to live in reverence and fear, in a wonder of what it means to be able to participate in this glorious kingdom of heaven. And I pray, Lord, that the security of who we are in Christ and how you provided for this fruitfulness would make us a people of deep faith and determination to please you and to be useful to your kingdom. Let that be the attitude. Let that be the transforming power of the gospel in us. Let that be the reason why we leave this place, rejoicing, realizing that in every season of the soul, this invitation to participate in the glory of the kingdom, it's there. It's there. And we want to do it well, Lord. We want to be the opposite. When you look at SBC and this 8 o'clock service, you see a people bearing fruit. We pray for this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Welcome to stand as we sing a song in response.
I'm at Sterling Baptist Church at this time. <laughs> Can't get my head around it. But clearly, the Lord is not finished with me. And I hope and I trust you feel the same. I don't want to go home. <laughs> I don't want to go home. Thank you, Natiska, the worship team. Thank you, Maddie, for the word. Our closing prayer now. If there's anybody who wants to come and chat to Matt or Woody or myself after the service, please do so. Oh, Father, you, you're so good to us. <laughs> you're so gracious. You're so kind. This morning, you've saturated us with your spirit. You've saturated us with your love and you've saturated us with your grace and your mercy, Lord, I just uh, just feel that in myself. I feel too, Lord, that you're not finished with me. Uh, you're not finished with these folk that are fellowshipping here this morning. You've got something wonderful and supernatural for us. It's not difficult, Lord. <laughs> it's not hard. We've just got to put aside those things that uh, are holding us back. Uh, pride and selfishness and our focus on materialistic things and our desire to be first and not last. And Oh Lord, just we go from this place, just continue to minister to us. We don't, we don't want you to stop. We want you to continue. So we just uh, bless you. We're grateful for you. We just uh, lift up our hearts to you this morning. I'm leaving this place with a song of joy in my heart, and I, I know there are many more doing the same. So just bless you, Father, in Jesus' glorious name. Amen. <laughs>